If you will, take your Bible and turn to Acts 19. We continue and actually we conclude our um, series of messages on life's important questions, Acts 19. You found Acts 19, just hang on a second, we'll get there in a second. It is an old story, but I love it. You've heard it. You've heard it told on people. It's a guy named Bill. <clears throat> Bill was always, in fact, he's almost to the point of being obnoxious about bragging about who he knew, how many people that he knew. He knew famous people. He knew powerful people. He knew influential people. And he, and he bragged to his boss one day, and he said, uh, guess what? Let's name a person, and I know him. Boss said, okay, Tom Cruise. He said, oh, yeah, Tom and I are good friends. And the guy said, prove it. They got on the plane together. They flew out to California, walked up to Tom Cruise's house, knocked on the door, and Tom came to the door, and he said, Bill, it is so glad to see you. Yeah, it's you and your friend. Come on in. Let's have a great time. And so the boss was shocked but still skeptical. And, he said, and a couple of days later, he said, um, how about the president of the United States, President Bush, was president at the time? He goes, yeah, President Bush and I go back a long way. He said, let prove it. And so they got on the plane, flew out to Washington, and um, they were admitted to the White House, which was pretty significant. And while they were coming down the hall, President Bush came down the hallway, and he goes, Bill, it's so good to see you. said, I'm on my way to a meeting, but I can pause for five minutes to delay that meeting, and you and your friend come in, let's have a cup of coffee. So now the boss just don't know what to think, and so they get back, and the boss says, how about the Pope? You know, he said, oh, yeah, I know the Pope. He said, really? So they get on a plane together and they go to the Vatican. And in the Vatican, there were literally thousands of people out there. And uh, um, because the Pope was supposed to come and say Mass. And uh, Bill looked around and said, listen, there are too many people here. The Pope's not going to see me. So let me do this. You stay right here. And so he slipped off through the crowd, and he had said, you know, that his uh, attendants know me, they'll let me in. And so, sure enough, he went off, and about a half hour later, the Pope walks out on the balcony, and Bill's right behind him. And so uh, um, everything happened, and he came back down, and when he got back to where his boss was, the paramedics were working on the boss. And uh, uh, he looked down at him, and he said, What happened? And the boss said, well, I was doing really good until the guy punched me and said, who's that on the balcony with Bill? <laughs> you know, there's something about all of us that really want to be known and, and know. And, and tonight's question is going to speak to that. You know, the, the question tonight... <clears throat> is a question that is directly from God's Word, like the other four questions have been, and it speaks to us personally. I mean, I recapped them this morning. Let me recap them again. I think they are important questions. In fact, might be questions you just stencil and put on with a magnet on your refrigerator. How long will you falter or halt or hesitate between two opinions? God be God, serve Him. Second question, what are you doing here what is it that's going on in your life? Why are you where you are? You've chosen to be there. Why are you there? Third question, last Sunday, what shall I do with Jesus? 
Fourth question from this morning. Do you love me more than these? And tonight we come to the question that's going to raise the bar for many of us. It's going to be a personal question that speaks to the very core of who we are, what we want, where our heart is, what we desire, what legacy we'll leave. And we find this question in Acts 19, verse 15. Just remain seated. (coughs) But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Father, I pray that in the next few moments, I pray that as we share together for just a few moments over this scripture, I pray that you will impart on us a realization of who we are, of who you want us to be, of who people know and recognize that we have been. And I pray that we will, make, we will come to you and, with confession and repentance that you can make a change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine, can you imagine doing, being out doing ministry, performing ministry and doing good and trying to help people and trying to restore people in the name of Jesus and all of a sudden the person that you're helping has this low, raspy voice that is obvious of an evil voice. And it says, Jesus, I know. You're a preacher, I recognize. You're a Sunday school teacher, I recognize. You're a deacon, I recognize. You're a husband or your wife, I recognize. But who are you? Hmm. Now, this question comes, and it's asked by an evil person, evil spirit. It comes in the middle of a very interesting story. So, let's, uh, uh, let's read. Let's go back to verse 11, and let's read together. You follow along? And I'm going to let you be seated because I want to comment as we go along. And God... And God was doing extraordinarily, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. We'll stop there and talk about the miracles that Paul has done. He has healed the sick. He, he has given sight. He has cast out demons. He's doing many miracles. He is known as one who has been changed from something he used to be to something he is. But watch how, watch how spiritually he was, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs, and aprons that he had that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now we'll pause there to say that's where we get today these prayer cloths that tell evangelists. But here's what I want to tell you: Paul never reached out and blessed those. Paul was just walking in the Spirit so much and was walking so close to the Lord that when some of those things came in contact with him, so it appears that they would carry those things and people would be healed. Man, could I get an amen? I mean, if that was the truth, if your preacher was like that, you'd probably be smothering me with your jackets, your coats, your blankets, your sheets, and carrying them to your sick people. Could I get an amen? Big stuff. But when, something, when God is doing something through someone, everybody else tries to get in on what he's up to through them. So watch this, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook 
to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, there's a dead giveaway here. When every time I read this text and it says, by the Jesus Paul proclaims, you know what it reminds me of in modern day church? My daddy was a preacher. My granddaddy was a preacher. My mama taught Sunday school. Here you know what these guys are trying to do. They were trying to do Jesus' work, and they didn't know him. They were trying to share somebody else's Jesus, not the ones that they knew, not the ones they believed in, not the ones they personally walked with. Verse 14. This got so popular that seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Seven guys, seven sons. And now we get to that verse. But the evil spirit answered him, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, Many of those who were now believers came <laughs> confessing and divulging their practices. There's your repentance. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, how much did they cost, and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God, the word of the Lord, continued to increase and prevail mightily. I just want to tell you, we could probably make a sermon series from that story right there. There are so many rabbits to chase. I mean, you, you can make a case that, that, that what you really want to talk about is the danger of invoking the name of Jesus when you don't know Jesus. Because when you invoke the name of Jesus, all of a sudden you're not doing uh, physical work. You're not doing work of the world. You're doing spiritual work. And Paul writes that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. He tells, he tells us to put on the whole armor of God because when we go to battle, we must have his his support, we must have His power, we must have His Spirit, and to go into spiritual battle on your own, by yourself, can be hazardous to your health. How do I know that? We just read it. I mean, think about it. They were there doing good. They were doing their best to do good, but they had no connection to the Lord Jesus. The evil spirit recognized that they didn't have any connection and he jumped out, and it says, he leaped on them, he mastered all them, and he overpowered them. Now, that's a fancy word. Can I just put that just kind of down in Alabama, Mississippi terminology? 
The evil spirit that possessed the man caused that one man to jump on these seven boys and beat the dog out of them and tear their clothes off. They were misrepresenting Christ, and they left naked and wounded. And then the Spirit says that verse that we read. You know, Jesus, I know. We'll get to how he knew him. Peter, Paul, I recognize. But who are you? What a sobering question for you and I to consider tonight. Who are you? When it comes to spiritual things, who are you? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Now, now, you know, the, the truth is, we ask that question when we're about 18, 17, 16, 19. We come into, we're beginning to get out on our own and we say, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What am I doing? The sad truth is, whether we get along in life, less we are, we ask that question. And I say it's sad because you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. He's not just talking to young people. Examine ourselves. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Prove yourself. Know yourself. In fact, if you don't know yourself, you don't know who you are in the spirit. There are some people who do. Let me just offer you three thoughts. Three thoughts about people who know you and will be done. First of all, your challengers know you. Your challengers know you. Who are your challengers? I'm speaking of your opponents, those people who oppose you. I'm I'm speaking of your enemies, those who stand on the other side of the issues than you. I'm speaking of your, uh, um, your adversaries. I'm speaking of those who will even antagonize you. Brother Jerry, why in the world or how in the world do they know me? You see, the truth is, they're going to study you. They're going to watch you. They're going to figure out how you respond. They're going to figure out how you react. They're going to figure out how you think. They're going to figure out what you say. They're going to find a chink in your armor. Yesterday was a big day in college football. I know people don't like me to really mention football in church because that's another religion, but be that as it may, let me just not pick on the Alabama teams or anybody else. Let me pick on the Mississippi teams. Yesterday, Dan Mullen from State, Hugh Freeze, Ole Miss, they played each other, and fortunately, Hugh won the day. But here's what I want to tell you about those two men and their players. They knew each other because they had spent hours in the room Watching the film. They studied one another. They knew what to expect from one another. You see, the truth is, Satan watches us. He looks out for us. He knows, watch this, he knows whether we're straddling the fence. He knows if we're halted between two opinions. He knows if we're kind of confused, if we're in the wrong place. What are we doing here? He knows the answer probably to the question of what we're doing with Jesus. Because he studied us. That's what your opponent does. He discovers everything about you. He discovers your motivation. He discovers your impetus. He discovers so many things. They, they know it. 
because they study. But number two, they know it. Satan particularly knows, and as football teams, because they've met on the field of battle before. Certainly he knew Jesus because he met Jesus on the field of battle at the tomb, and he lost. Oh, he thought he had won at the cross, but he didn't see three days later. You see, you see, the truth is, is that just like football, when they get together, it's, it's interesting now the way the rules are developed. If the offense makes a substitution, then the defense can make a substitution. That's a rule. Because they studied each other so much. And it's amazing to me, being a former player, is that when that offense runs a certain, a certain set out there, the coach don't have to tell everybody to go because those players have studied so much that they're running because they know they're a part of the scheme. In the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. Satan gets to know us, watch this, by the spiritual work we do. He knows us because he knows his opposition. He knows his enemies. He knows who challenge him. By the way, you do know that to be a friend of this world is to be an enemy of God, and to be a friend of God is to be an enemy of this world and thus Satan. See, he studies us. He knows us. But may I just simply say, one of the things that he really wants to know is who you are and whose you are. He wants to know whose you are. Some people have said to me, if somebody's in here, it's not, this is not pointed at you. I don't remember. I can't call a name, but I've heard it time and again. You know, Brother Jerry, you talk all this stuff about Satan, and he don't bother me. I never had any problem with Satan. Now, if you said that to me and I just stood there like a calf looking at a new gate or staring in headlights, I'm going to tell you what I was thinking. Are you going with him or are you going against him? Because Satan's not going to bother anybody that's going the same direction that he's going. If our lives just kind of meander down his way, he's not going to bother. Why would he waste time? Who are you? Obviously, these seven guys, before they tried to get into the spiritual battle, before they tried to invoke the name of the Jesus that they didn't know, they must have been going the same way because he didn't even know them. You know, when I read this story, I know you're about to get offended. When I read this story, it occurs to me that in this story might lie one of the reasons many people or some people Abandon God's ministry. You see, when we attempt to do God's work in our own strength, it can be a bloody mess. It can be deadly. It can be bad. You see, we look at these seven guys. Now, we really don't know what motivated them. We really don't know. Um, we really don't know much about them except just that they showed up. But they were out trying to do good. It seems. Seems they were trying to help some people. But when they launched into the spiritual world of spiritual warfare, they were ill-equipped because they really didn't know who they were. And the prince of evil knew they were a fraud, knew that they were ill-equipped and they couldn't stand up to the battle. Because listen to this. The Bible teaches, and it is true, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But watch this. 
You try to go it alone, you make no mistake. Greater is he who is in the world than you are if you try to go it by yourself. He will win every, every time. Now you say, well, Brother Jerry, how does that really speak to people leaving the ministry? Let me just say one other thing is that I've said this many times in the last nine years. Satan knows your weakness, and he knows when you're weakest. And you know what he'll do? When he finds you at your weakest, he will exploit your weakness, and he will pull you down. How does it speak to people leaving ministry? And it don't just have to be vocational ministry. You think about it. These seven, these seven boys here, they were the son of a Jewish priest. They had a dad who was in ministry. And yet after watching verse 11, the, the ministry of Paul, they decided that they wanted a part of it. And herein lies the problem. Many people see someone doing something, so they just believe if they can do it, anybody can do it. I'll give you a personal testimony. After 20 years of worship ministry, God called me to preach. I wouldn't be doing this if he didn't call me. I'd still be doing what she's doing. God called me to preach. A couple of years later, he opened the door, and I began preaching and pastoring. And I had a man, I had a friend, thought he was a friend, to say this. Worship pastor, he goes, you know what? I've been thinking about this, and if you can do it, I can do it. And I simply said, just be sure that God called you. Just be sure that God called you. Because if you get into if you get into being a senior pastor when God's called you to be a worship pastor, you're going to mess up. To his credit, he went back and prayed about that. I don't know if those words bore an impact, but today he is still on staff of that same church. He's changed some of his responsibilities, but but he's still on staff of that same church. You see, if someone decides to do a spiritual task without a spiritual call, without having Christ in their life, without having the spiritual a spirit of God in their life, they are taking on a spiritual enemy in physical strength, and that has tragic consequences. So I ask you, who are you? Are you someone that your challengers know? If your challengers know, does he know who you are? I'll tell you somebody else that knows the answer to that question, who you are. Not only your challengers, but your companions know who you are. Your companions know who you are. Verse 17 tells us that this became known when they got beat up, that it became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greek. In other words, everybody knew what went on. Their families, their friends, their acquaintances, those folks that didn't know them. Some of them, you know, I got to thinking about this. I wonder if some of those folks who knew those seven boys... Maybe they were like the sons of Elijah, maybe, uh, not Elijah. Uh, uh, maybe they were, they were like the, the boys in a um, name just escaped me in the Old Testament where they were wicked priests. But the truth is, just consider a couple of practical thoughts about people close to you 
knowing you, your companions. One of the reasons that people closest to you really know you, and they know you best, and they know you authentically, is because they spent time around you. You've heard this old adage, you can fool all of the people some of the time, some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. I dare say that the people, people that are, say, closest around you are those people whom you can't fool. You know why? Because they've seen you in your times of frustration. They've seen you in the times that you're having fun. They've seen you in times of fear. They've watched you work through the burden. They've watched you enjoy the blessing. And I dare say that your companions can speak about how you'll respond, things you'll say, what you'll do. They know what it is that motivates you. Those people can generally speak to your character. They can speak to your commitment. And they can even speak, like this or not, to whatever level and brand of Christianity you embrace. People will say, well, nobody knows what's in a man's heart. And all that tells us is that we bought into the lies of the culture because the Bible says you can. The Bible clearly says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That may be a hard pill to digest sometimes. I've heard this a long time ago, Robert. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. You don't know what that is if you're a City slicker. As I was thinking about this, I'm reminded of a past event in my life. I was a staff person. A fairly large church, according to our standards here in Hueytown. Five or six hundred. And, and as we assembled our, t- our team, the pastor, Tim, Brother Tim, God love I loved and I love to this day. He just retired not long ago. We were in staff and he was beginning to make administrative assignments of what to do. And after staff meeting I just called him and I said, Brother Tim, I know these other guys, particularly the education guy, I know he normally does all the administration. The student man picks up a little bit, but as a worship guy, I'd like you to find one thing. Just one thing I could do. And he did. And when he talked to me about it, I go, uh, 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 he said, I know that's one of the harder ones, but I want you to do it. You have the skill. So whether I did good or bad is not the point. Here's what I want to You know what I did? As I sat down with now this assignment for administrating the church, this part of the church, it occurred to me that I didn't make the decisions that I wanted to make. That was not my job. My job as I sat there, these were some tough decisions, by the way, is that as I sat there, I had to make the decision that I felt like Brother Tim would make if he were sitting there. That was my job. You know what I did? I'm not a smart person, and so I knew I didn't know enough about my new pastor to make those decisions. So I found ways for us to be together. I'm not just talking about staff meeting in a formal time. I found ways for us to be together in informal times. 
I know you're not going to like this. Some of you are not. Some of you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I found out that both of us really liked oysters on the hash shell. And those who stuck your tongue out, I'll tell you about how a good way to eat them and make you really feel good. We loved oysters on the hash shell. One day I was driving on the other side of town, and I saw out front, now this was back in the 80s, saw out front it said, oysters, $2.50 on the hash shell, $2.50 a dozen. And you can't get three of them now for that. So anyway, I went back and I said, hey, Tim, this is where I saw, this is what I saw, and this is where I saw it. He goes, this is 11.15, aren't you hungry? But you know what, in those informal, and for, for him, he's the one that introduced me to Mexican food. But I would spend those times around the table and at his house just listening to him talk. And most of the time, I got to where most of the time, now I would make a few bumbles, but most of the time when somebody came to me and said, what do you think about this? My response would be, well, I think what Brother Tim would want to do is this. I only tell that story to say that people closest to you really do know how you think, really do know how you respond, really can discern what's inside of you because because they know who you are. I would go so far as to say that sometimes people know us better than we know ourselves because we don't ever ask ourselves, who am I? Your challengers know you. Your companions know you. But there is one you can't escape from. That's our last thought. Christ knows you. Christ knows you. Now, Christ knows us in spite of our best efforts to keep him out. The evil spirit said to these boys, he said, uh, you know, who are you? You know, I, I know the guy on the front line. I know Jesus. He's on the front line. I know the guy who is backing him up, Paul, but who are you? I'm going to tell you what Jesus knew who they were, whether they were lost or saved. He knew who they were because if they were lost, he's somebody they died, that he died for. If they were saved, he was, some, he was who they were, he was wanting them to live for. Who are you? Jesus knows. You know, human nature has us put this de- magnificent defense system around us. We get hurt, we try, we hurt, and we put this wall around us to protect us. Guess what? Just like Superman of old that had those x-ray vision eyes that can see through everything, Jesus can see through your wall. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows. Let me just, let's just kind of let's kind of just break this down. Jesus knows, first of all, the real you. The men who do outreach and I have had many discussions about the fear that many people who attend our fellowship are lost. Jesus knows. And he still has not given up. He's still calling. Jesus knows people who are hurt. Jesus knows those who have the right answers for everything to deflect everybody. There's the wall. I'm reminded, I'll tell this story and we'll be done. Van and I were visiting about a year, year and a half, maybe two years ago here in town. We came up on a man out in the middle of his front yard. 
not too far from here. And as we met this man, found a very receptive ear, and I began to share Christ with him. And at every point, he had the right answer. Every, he knew what the question was before I got there. He knew the story before I got there. He knew what Jesus offered before I got there, and he had the right answer. Walking with Christ and knowing Christ is more than having the right answer. When we walked away, Van looked at me and I said, well, he knew all the right answers. And Van said something to this effect. You know how Van talks. He said, yeah, but he's lost as a poodle. Who are you? What does the enemy know about you? Does he know anything about you because you've confronted him, because, because you have ran head on into him? What does your companions know about you? I mean, I want you to think about this. What if I were to ask your best friend or your spouse, what about you? And I would put your name there. And you were standing over here behind a curtain just happened and you, where you could hear with the words that they speak would those be words that you would think that they would speak? Would they include words like loving God, thankful to Jesus, sharing good things with our community, with the people they meet, inviting people to, to the church and to Christ? Who are you? It's an old song that I think I may have sung on Wednesday night one time. It says these words, some say life is just a series of decisions. We make choices, we live and learn. I'm standing at a crossroad and I must choose which way to turn. Down the one road is all the world has to offer, all its power, its wealth and fame. And down the other, there's a man with nail scars in his hand. But there's mercy in his eyes and there's power in his name. What choice have you made? You choose Jesus or you choose the way of the world? Let's pray together.